Hello and welcome to Ladies Who Switch. It's been a while. We've been extremely busy with our respective country coverage, but I'm joined by Valkyrie Baines, who caught the end of the English summer. And Valkyrie, how did it all pan out? Yeah, so it feels like a lot has happened since we last uh, caught up. But yeah, the England season is over and the English domestic season. Uh, that finished up with the Rachel Hayhoe Flint Trophy uh, semi-final and final. Um, the Blaze beat South East Stars in quite a bizarre eliminator. Um, weather affected. We had, it's sort of been the, the story of uh, autumn, really. We got summer very late. And so we had beautiful sunshine at Beckenham uh, in Kent where that match was played and then that was interspersed by torrential downpours which really heavily affected the match it looked like we were going to have a bowl off at one point um, which was quite a bizarre concept to a lot of the players who hadn't been involved in one um, certainly at senior level some had said they'd been you know uh, done one at under 11s and that kind of thing but yeah they, they were sort of practicing it's better than a boundary that. count right Oh, I don't it? know, but yeah, look, I don't think there is a perfect solution to be to be fair. I mean, how how can you decide a match purely on, you know, bowling? Do you know what I mean? It sort of takes out half of, of the game. So I sort of, I don't know, I, I, I found it really hard to sort of wrap my head around it. And fortunately, um, it just would have been a... a really weird way to decide who was going to contend for that season title against Southern Vipers who had made it all the way through. As it turned out, they made it back on um, with uh, just a couple of minutes to spare in time and uh, and the Blaze won. So they went through to the final against uh, Southern Vipers, um, famously coached by Charlotte Edwards, who, um, yeah, basically oversaw uh, their victories. So, um, yeah, they did the double this year, the Charlotte Edwards Cup and the Rachel Hayhoe Flint Trophy. So, um, so yeah, that, that wrapped up the domestic season, uh, yeah. Yeah, Valkyrie, a really bizarre potential finish to the end of your season. I'm glad that didn't happen because I think it could have been somewhat farcical, as you mentioned, a lot of players not even knowing what to expect. But the end of a summer where England, I guess, were tested in a lot of departments, Sri Lanka proved a stern challenge for them to a degree. You were keeping a close eye on those matches. How do you feel the international season went? Yeah, so they were sort of coming back off of that Ashes series, which they tied and, you know, there was so much hype around it and, and um, you know, having sort of, you know, gone eight all with, with the Australians and then they had to sort of back up again, um, you know, for the, the late season series against Sri Lanka. And I think you're right, um, Sri Lanka did push them, particularly in the T20s, um, and they basically exposed England's weakness against spin and and batting against spin and um John Lewis the head coach sort of came out and and sort of said this is something that we you know really need to address um he's going to take a uh, training group out to um, to India to um, you know work in those conditions. They've got a tour of India coming up in December. Um, not to mention then a T20 World Cup in Bangladesh and the One Day World Cup in India. So that is, um, I guess you know they got they got a warning and and they have got time to work on it. So that was probably their key takeaway from the end of their season. Um, I also caught up with Alice Capsi um, as soon as that series was over because I thought it was, you know, really important to sort of wrap wrap that side of things up and have a bit of a chat to her. And she's had, you know, quite an interesting year, having now been part of the England setup for a, just over twelve months now. Yeah, that was a great idea, Valks, to chat to Alice Capsi, and it sounded like she had a lot of interesting things to say. So let's have a listen. Well, Alice Capsey, thank you so much for joining us on Ladies Who Switch. Thank you very much for your time. No worries. Um, I wonder if, first of all, you could take me back a little bit to about a year ago. Uh, you've played your first season as an England international. Um, that included the South Africa series, Commonwealth Games, um, and then the India series. What was it like being in that time as a 17 turning 18-year-old? I mean, was it? did it feel like you were sort of thrown in or was that just the culmination of everything you'd been working toward? Can you talk us through what it was like? Uh yeah, it was it's been a bit of a roller coaster year, obviously. Um kind of getting my first professional contract with England was, was really exciting and then kind of coming off 
the big bash, I went into my first, I guess, England tour as an England contractor player and ended up breaking my collarbone in the first first game. So um, that wasn't kind of the best start to my, I guess, England uh, contracted career. But um, no, it's been it's been a, a year of a lot more first, which sounds kind of mental to even be saying it because I feel like that's what I've said for the last three years. But um, yeah, it was awesome to kind of managed to get back from my broken collarbone in time to be able to play in my first T20 World Cup um, and then have the opportunity to go out to the WPL in that competition. And then obviously being a part of the Ashes this summer was was truly memorable. And I think um, whether it was my first Ashes or someone like Heather Knight or Kate Cross who have played many Ashes before that, I think everyone kind of as a consensus knew how important that series was. And um just how incredible it, it was and just bridging the gap between England and Australia and really competing with them who have dominated women's cricket for the last four or five years. Um, it was incredible to be a part of and just to see the support that we had as well. Um, and then obviously going into kind of finishing off the international summer versus Sri Lanka uh, with a bit of a different squad, but it was it was really cool to kind of see the new players come in and um really kind of continue what the success they've been having in regional and hundred cricket and take it to the international stage, which was which was great to see. Yeah, you said it. You've sort of been through an awful lot in that 12, 14 month period. When you broke your collarbone in December and had to come back from the Caribbean, was there ever any doubt that you might be able to go to that T20 World Cup in South Africa or was the timing just about going to be okay? Uh, yeah, there was a lot of doubts. Um, kind of when I did it, I had that conversation before I'd had a scan on the way to the hospital and I was like, oh my God, am I, have I done something serious here? Um, and the doc was kind of like, yeah, it, it, I, I think you've broken your collarbone. We'll have to wait and sit, see with the scan. And I kept on kind of pressing, what's the timeline? What's the timeline? And they kind of kept on batting it back saying, we've got to look at the scan. We've got to do this. We've got to do that. Um, so yeah, there was definitely some doubts and especially as they kind of said, look, you've got to fly home tomorrow and have surgery. I was a bit like, oh my God, like this is pretty serious. Um, and having a lot of conversations with the surgeon, it was always kind of, let's just see, let's take it little by little, have the surgery, see how see how it starts to heal, see how much range I've got in the first week um, and just try and take it step by step and not get too ahead of ourselves. But um, yeah, there was definitely doubt that I'd, wasn't going to be fit and that I wouldn't be able to get back in time but I was really fortunate that my recovery went pretty smoothly uh, there was a few bumps in the road but um it was it was a pretty smooth recovery considering the extent I damaged my collarbone um and the surgeon was brilliant and the ECB were brilliant in just being there every step of the way with my recovery and just making sure that every little detail was was done and seen through um and yeah it was it was brilliant just the support I had and um I guess it was, it was just really fortunate that I w- was able to have that kind of recovery and that my body reacted to the surgery really well um and my bones started to heal uh pretty quickly and my range came back pretty quickly quicker than usual for those kind of surgeries so everything kind of seemed to slowly but surely fall into into position and um and then I guess the kind of messaging and support that I had from the, the coaching staff as well to take me out to South Africa. Because um, obviously we were out there about two and two and a bit weeks before the competition even started. And that, by that point, I actually hadn't even started fielding. Um, so everything was kind of left as late as possible to give myself as much time to recover from it the best as possible. So from that point of view, the, I guess, support and backing that I had from the support staff that they could leave it as late as possible and they'd support me through it was was incredible. You must have felt a little bit like um, I've only just got started here and now I've got this to deal with. Was that on your mind or were you, are you sort of the kind of person who was always, you know, going to be looking ahead and just when can I get back out there? How did that feel? Um, I think I was a little bit of both to kind of everyone else. I was very much, this is my recovery. I want to be back for the T20 World Cup. I'm this is what I'm going to do. I'm, I'm going to make sure I do everything like to the best of my ability. I'm going to put my 100% commit to it um, and really try and get back. And even when I was out in um, Antigua, just before I flew, I think I said to 
think I was having coffee with Sophie Eccleston and Lauren Bell and I was like, I'm, I'm going to be back to the World Cup, um, which even then was pretty optimistic, bearing in mind I didn't even know what, what I'd done. Um, but yeah, I think in the back of my head, I also knew that everyone else was out in West Indies and I was supposed to be on that tour. And especially during December, while they were away, I, I really struggled with that and um, knowing that I was kind of missing out and that um, it was a it was a tour where it was it was a chance that I, I had the opportunity to really kind of cement myself in, in the team and um, kind of breaking my collarbone kind of and sending me home almost in my head stopped me from doing that. Um, and it was pretty hard to kind of obviously follow follow them and really try and support them from home and as much as possible. But also in the back of my head, I kind of knew that I was supposed to be out there. Um, so I think that's where kind of coming home, my family were brilliant. Um, they really kind of took my mind away from cricket. They really supported me. They Whether it was a little thing like me and my sister went for a dog walk every day um, and just chatted about completely random stuff and it was those kind of things coming back to quite a big family. Um, I was able to kind of take my mind away a little bit, but it was it was pretty difficult. Um, and it's also not just kind of knowing that I'd missed out on the West Indies tour, but I was also behind in my preparation going into the World Cup. Um, and kind of, I was kind of on the back foot going into the World Cup, which obviously was a really big deal. So that was quite a challenge to kind of overcome whilst also trying to catch myself up um, with the rest of the team. For sure. And then you get to that World Cup. Was there mixed emotions? Because you must have been delighted to be well enough to play. But then I guess the England campaign didn't go quite as well as you guys had hoped collectively. What was that experience like? Yeah, obviously, I was delighted to be kind of, it was my first World Cup. It was really exciting. And South Africa is not a bad place to have your first World Cup. It was, um, it's a beautiful country. And the support that we had throughout the um, World Cup the crowds were, were brilliant and it was really nice most of us had our families out there so we had a really nice kind of supporters group as well um, and I guess yeah like you said it, it wasn't the campaign we would have hoped for it wasn't we went out there and we, we really thought that we had a pretty good chance to really contend and get to the final and obviously to fall short in that semi-final was disappointing and I think we'd made some real big shifts between kind of last summer and then coming into the World Cup we had a big transition phase with John Lewis coming in ch changing our mentality around how we play cricket um, and I think we saw glimpses of that in the group stages um, just kind of the team really being brave and taking on that kind of um, inspiring and entertaining mindset um, and then we almost kind of went back to our old ways I think a little bit in the semi-final and um, that was obviously disappointing and a lot of us, we all took it pretty heavily and um, obviously we had a lot of time to reflect from that South Africa World Cup going into kind of the season and the ashes so um, we had a decent period to kind of reflect, go back through it, really kind of dig into the little little bitty bits of the World Cup and how we can change and improve as a team and as a group. Um, so I think it was it was obviously disappointing at the time, but it was it was a brilliant learning curve and it was a brilliant stepping stone on our journey, um, which I think put us in a better place going forward into the Ashes this summer. You mentioned that transition period, so with John Lewis coming in and sort of between, I guess, that uh, Caribbean tour and the World Cup into an Ashes series where you actually, you know, tied the series with Australia, they retained the ashes, but uh, just the, the performance of, of the, the England team really sort of took it to the Australians. Can you talk a little bit about what has actually changed in that England setup with uh, John Lewis coming in? Yeah, I think the the key thing that John Lewis has brought is he's he's really brought in that mentality of being brave, um, really going out there to try and inspire and entertain the next generation. Uh, we talk about a lot about kind of people coming in to watch us about how we play the game, not whether we win or lose, but just entertaining and inspiring whether we win or lose in that game. It doesn't matter. Like not, a loss doesn't define us. It's about how we play our cricket. And I think that's that kind of mentality has really freed up a lot of our players. Um, <clears throat> sorry. Um, and I think he just... He's just given everyone confidence within the team that they're 
they're good enough to be there and that he backs them 100 percent and kind of we're looking to push the game forward as much as possible we're looking to break new records break new boundaries um and i think that kind of mentality brings the best out of professional cricketers whether it's a professional cricketer or any professional athlete you want to be the best you can you want to break new records and I think with John Lewis bringing in that kind of freedom to go about that in whichever way you do that um, has been brilliant and it's kind of brought about um, individuals being more individuals within the team um, rather than kind of falling into a kind of everyone gets treated the same. It's very individualised. It's very what do you need to get the best out of yourself and I think having that and having that kind of good communication between yourself, the head coach, the captain, Heather. Um, you know what your role is and you're pretty comfortable with when you go into that role, you know exactly what you're being asked to do, which is which is nice and it's a good place to be. How did the team buy into that new mindset? Because it is different. It's like, let, you know, let's not be in our shells. Let's go out there and just give this a go. When John Lewis is telling you, this is now how we're going to play, initially I mean what are you guys thinking are you like you know how or are you like yeah come on let's do this how do you process a you know completely new message from your coach yeah I think it's hard because as kind of professional cricketers you strive for perfection you strive for kind of whether it's as a bowler bowling your perfect spell um not bowling a bad ball or as a batter not making a mistake um not giving away your wicket but actually he's brought in this mentality of it's okay not to be perfect um, and it's okay to make mistakes as long as you learn from them. And I think that's that's a really hard thing to then transition to um, because you're, you're striving to be perfect and then actually a coach then comes in and says, no, I want you to be brave. I want you to make mistakes. I want you to learn. I want you to kind of see how far you can go. And it's about that growth mindset. And I, I think as a group... Um, it was something that was really needed and I think actually we all took on board that that really well and we all kind of um really bought into it. I think it's it's hard as a as a team if if certain individuals don't buy into it, but we were really lucky that I guess every single person kind of bought into that messaging and I think it's also the way you deliver it. He delivered it very well. He kind of said, You've been doing some great things, um, but we, we wanna we wanna make you even better. Um and obviously Australia, we knew kind of going down the line after the T20, we had a big year this year with the T20 World Cup, the Ashes. Um, and we wanted to compete with the best in the world. We wanted to compete with Australia, who's been kind of leading the way. We want to we wanna compete and we want to win. Um, and previously, we, were, we probably weren't doing that as consistently as we would have liked. Um, so it was about kind of all together kind of really just growing our mindset and also we we did a lot on communication um getting better at talking to each other getting better at giving and receiving feedback and I think when you can do that and when the group's strong enough to be able to give and receive feedback that that bonds you as a group a lot better and you can kind of deal with the pressure moments a bit better and I think that's what we saw kind of the biggest thing for me kind of reflecting on the ashes was that um we dealt with the pressure moments better um, in those pressure moments, we competed better. And I think that comes from the big kind of communication factor, um, which he's really big on. Um, and we, as a team, we're kind of judging ourselves on that and judging ourselves on the process and our kind of things that we want to judge ourselves by rather than the result, which which kind of makes it a bit simpler, I think, when you know what you're kind of judging yourself on. Um, the end result kind of is a bit irrelevant because it'll kind of, it'll kind of happen how it happens. With your own uh, performance over the summer, how do you sort of rate how you went? I guess um, you had uh, in the Ashes, you know, had a few single-figure scores and then, you know, had like a really crucial um, innings in that T20 at Lords. Um, and similarly also, I guess, against Sri Lanka, you know, a couple of single-figure scores and then, you know, a, a half-century. So how are you feeling about your own batting as a whole this summer? Yeah, it was. It, I think it's a pretty difficult summer. Um, it wasn't how I'd have liked to have performed. Obviously, as a batter, you want to be scoring 50s every game. You want to be scoring runs. Um, but also, 
I think the bit that I know is that what my role is. Um, I'm I'm still young. I'm still trying to work out how best to do that role. Um, and I'm kind of that person who's there to put pressure on the bowlers as soon as I come in. And sometimes that'll come off, sometimes I won't. And it's just about kind of accepting that and just becoming okay with that um, so that when kind of those low runs do come, it doesn't stress you out too much. And I think the brilliant thing with kind of being a part of this England side at the moment is that you're fully supported by Louis and Heather. And no point did they say that there was any pressure to score runs. It was just about keep, continue doing what you do best. And when you've got that messaging, it, it makes you feel a bit more relaxed. Um, and I think also with just the nature of how I play and how I want to play, obviously, over the years, I, wa- I want to become more consistent and everyone wants to be Natsu Brunt churning out hundreds every time she plays, pretty much. But um, I think at the moment, I know what my role is. Um and it's just about becoming better at my role. And I think the last couple of years, I've I've had a good couple of years and that I know that that's not going to continue every year. And it's just about when I do have those, I say, I guess, quieter years, it's still about having an impact on the team, whether that's with the bat, with the ball or in the field. So I like to look at my kind of season as a bit more of an all-rounded kind of how did I go in contributing to the team? It's not about my personal scores and my personal milestones it's more about did I contribute to the team that I'm looking at personally um and just trying to block out I guess the noise that that comes with professional sport um because there's always going to be opinions good or bad um so I think it's just about kind of blocking those out and making sure that you're doing the best you can um for whichever team I'm a part of and we saw during that Sri Lanka series um, you bowling a little bit more and I think John Lewis after the last um, match of that tour had talked about, you know, it being really exciting, you having more opportunities um, with your bowling and he was sort of keen to sort of explore that. Is that um, a direction that you're heading in, do you think, you know, in in coming year or so? Yeah, I definitely think so. I think before I played for England and before I made my debut, I, I was an all-rounder for South East Stars and... I'm an all-rounder in kind of the different franchises I play for um, around the world and it's definitely something that I want to bring into my game. Obviously, I know primarily I'm stronger at batting at the moment and that's what gets me into the England team. Um, But it's definitely something that I want to continue building on and working on during the winter coming forward and and next, next summer and the years on because I think it's something that I really like to do. I like to impact the game in whatever phase of the game whether it's batting bowling or or in the field so it's definitely something I want to do and like John said it's really exciting that I was able to get a few more opportunities in the uh, Sri Lanka series and it's just when I get given those opportunities trying to take it as much as possible um and it, it just it just gives the captain another option as well doesn't it um and it's just another kind of string to your bow as a cricketer to get picked up in different teams so it's definitely something that um, I really enjoy doing and it's something that I'm really um, working on and as soon as I get those opportunities, trying to take them as much as possible. You mentioned Southeast Stars there and um, you guys played the Eliminator um, for the Rachel Hayhoe Flint Trophy last week and um, just sort of missed out to um, the Brave there. Uh, and then we saw Southern Vipers win uh, the title on Sunday. What did you make of that um, that whole competition and, and you know, the, the fact that the Vipers were able to, you know, come through in, in the end there? Yeah, I think, look, the regional structure is, is really important. I think it's growing each year. I think alongside the 100, the standard is just improving more and more. And the more professional contracts that are coming in, uh, the standards just skyrocketing. And you look at kind of the Sri Lanka series, bringing in, I think, four or five people made their debuts over the course of the Sri Lanka series. And it just shows the depth that the English cricket has. Um, and it's just growing. Uh, the pool's growing so much, which is really exciting. And it's pre- putting pressure on those who are in, in the England squad currently. And I think that's a brilliant thing to have because it makes you want to improve even more. And... Um, yeah, look, Sun Vipers have now won a number of trophies over the course of the last three, four years and they've they've done the double this year. They've they've been the standout team once again and I think the the key with them is just how consistent they are and how much they fight and you kind of 
as a as a group you you want to beat those teams and you want to play against those teams you want to compete and um it was brilliant for the southeast stars to make it through to the eliminator and play against brave who have been outstanding this year as well so um yeah it's those are the kind of semi-finals and finals that you want to play in and as a team you want to be a part of because you want to kind of compare yourself to to other the top teams in in the comp and um i think yeah it's brilliant to be a part of and i know that kind of dipping in and out of the southeast stars this year and during the winter the the pool of talent within within the stars anyway is is huge you've got the academy players who um are putting pressure on the the senior team and i mean the senior team you you look at our our squad and every single person in that in that team at the moment is a match winner um which is brilliant to see and it's the same in other regions as well which is really exciting that was the strange semi-final. It was really heavily rain affected um, and it was looking at one stage like it might go to a bowl out. Um, what were you thinking about that? Had you ever been involved in one? Were, you know, were you ready for it if it came? What, what was that like as a prospect to decide a, a finalist? Yeah, those sort of days were really difficult to be a part of as a player because you obviously want to get on, you want to play a full 50 over game and it was heavily rain kind of affected. We... Yeah, we got three overs into our bowling innings and then we were off and we were off for quite a while and that's that's when coaches started coming, going around the players being like, are you happy to be in, involved in the bowl off? And yeah, like you said, it was the first time I was ever going to be a part of one. I've, I've never done one. Um, and we, we'd gone inside and we, we started to go, oh God, like let's, let's start just preparing ourselves here just in case, um, which would have been a really strange way to kind of, I guess... Um, decide who goes to a final but also it's one of those things that kind of if you win it's it's great and if you lose you've just kind of got to take it on the chin because it's just such a extraordinary thing that um, yeah none of us had ever really been a part of it um, but luckily we got back on and um, unfortunately uh, we didn't we didn't it didn't go our way but I think the fight that we showed um, to keep trying to take wickets when we, we when we did get back on I thought Alexa picking up Marie Kelly in that uh, four balls that she finished her her over in was brilliant, and I think just the the energy we had as a group to go onto that pitch and try and win that win that game was was amazing. And I think obviously not being a part of the stars for a lot of the games this summer, um, but through following it, I think the main kind of consensus when coming back into the group was talking to the. Uh, coaches into Bry was the fact that they'd fought so hard um, and kind of then being on the pitch and seeing that um, in person was was great to see and we've got some really exciting talent um, in Alexis Stonehouse, Rihanna McDonald-Gay, those sort of players, Beth and Miles, um, who have really stood up during this this year when they've been given the opportunity and that that's brilliant and that's what kind of is so exciting about the regional structure and having those professional contracts is that they can have the opportunity to grow and develop from from younger, which is brilliant. So international season's done, domestic season is done, but franchise cricket rolls on. I guess first I have to take you back, though, to uh, the WPL. Um, it was the first one and, and you were involved in that. Um, what was that like? Yeah, I mean, I don't really have a singular word that kind of summed the experience up. Um, it was everything and more. It was different it was it was everything you would expect an Indian franchise to be there was loads of energy it was organized so well it was it was entertaining there was crowds in there were lights going on at the DYP um and yeah it was just a real showcase kind of competition and to be a part of that was was brilliant and just to also see the Indian talent which I'd never really seen um they've got some real depth in in that country and kind of being a part of a the squad at Delhi Capitals and our younger Indian players who who were bowling at me in the nets like Titas who's just won the Indian Asian cup um the Asia cup with India um she was she was brilliant and she wasn't even in our starting 11 for Delhi Capitals so that's that just shows the the depth in Indian talent and I think it's just going to go from strength to strength um, and that's really exciting because the first year was pretty good. Um, so kind of, yeah, it was, all of these franchise competitions are so different. You look at the 100, it's so different to the WBBL and 
again, the WP, the WPL brought something even different, uh, which is really exciting as a cricketer to kind of drop in and out of these franchises and to meet new people, be in a dressing room, different cricketers that you would normally be playing against, um, work with different coaches in different conditions. It was just such a cool experience to be a part of. Um, and yeah, it's just really exciting for what's to come and kind of the, the money and effort they put into that in India was was outstanding and the way we got looked after by Delhi Capitals, I, I couldn't say a bad word about it. Um, so no, it was a really enjoyable kind of three weeks um, and yeah, really looking forward to kind of the next few editions. How valuable was it um, playing in Indian conditions, I guess, particularly given that England have got a tour of India coming up, um, then we've got... Um, T20 World Cup in Bangladesh, one day World Cup in India. So we've got this um, subcontinental conditions um, coming up. And and John Lewis had identified during the Sri Lanka series that, um, you know, batting against spin is something that um, England, you know, need to work on given that schedule. Um, How valuable was it, um, you know, being out at the WPL and to at least sort of get a a look and a a feel of that and sort of going forward, sort of uh, what what are your plans in terms of, you know, tackling those conditions over the next six months or so, or year, I should say? Yeah, yeah, it gives you kind of um, that extra little bit of knowledge of kind of playing there. It was the second time I've been in India, so... It's just adding to the kind of memory bank of what it's like to play, what um, what are kind of your best options. And like you said, we identified it during the Ashes in the Sri Lanka series that it's an area that we want to improve on playing against spin. Um, and I think that will be really key, like you said, going into the India series where we've got five T20s in a test match. And then also the T20 World Cup in Bangladesh and the 50 over World Cup in, in India. That will all play a real part. And it's definitely something that as... For me, as a cricketer, kind of moving forward, it, it's something that I'm going to put a lot of time and thought into, um, into developing my game and how to play spin better. Um, and also just kind of how we want to kind of, I guess, go about it. I think every team has a different way of playing the game. Um, and I think you've got to kind of build that kind of team, I guess, how we want to we want to go about it, how we want to be brave, what the best options are, and then take from that mould how I do it individually, how Nat will do it differently, Dunks will do it differently, Danny White will do it differently, and it's just about finding what works for you. Um, so there'll be, I'm sure, a number of different conversations um, over the next kind of, like you said, six, 12 months about how to do that better. Um, and it'll be a real focus of ours, I think, uh, especially leading up to those um, world events in, in the subcontinent. Um, but yeah, like you said, kind of being out in the WPL, being able to face um, Indian spinners, um, be able to be out there um, in a competition which was a really high standard and match yourself against that was was outstanding. And everything's on TV, everything's live these days that I can kind of go back and watch through the games, watch work, what worked, what didn't work and really go through it like that and really methodically work out what my best options are, uh, which will really be really important over the next 6, 12 months, but also going forward um, in my career. So what's going on for you now? Do you actually get some kind of a break before WBBL or um, what, what are you doing at the minute? Uh, yeah, I've got the next couple of weeks off, which will be nice. Um, and then I've got a couple of weeks training before heading out to the WBBL. Um, which will be another really really cool experience. I really enjoyed the WBBL last year. I thought the standard was really high and just matching yourselves against the Aussie cricketers who obviously have been leading the way for the last couple of years and learning off them, being in a different changing room, being with different staff. They're the kind of things that I really enjoy, growing your game uh, through different people and kind of everyone does it differently and picking up different ideas. So that'll be another really cool challenge and It'll be something that I'm really looking forward to going out into out into the Oz conditions and um, yeah, it's just about challenging yourself in different ways and trying to take each opportunity as is a a way to develop develop your game um, and continually looking to learn, looking to improve. And it, I mean, it's not a bad way to kind of get yourself ready for another international series in India in December. So um, it's not bad preparation either. And I guess just finally, I guess it's a bit of a big picture question, but um, 
what have you got um, as a goal or something that you want to work on over, you know, the, the next 12 months or so just to taking your career further forward? Oh, I think there's a lot of kind of technical things that I can have a look at. I started tweaking a couple of bits during the Sri Lanka series, so just continuing that and seeing how far I can take that and what, what works best. And I think also, like I spoke about, kind of, learning my role a bit better um obviously I want to be positive I want to take uh the the bowlers um put pressure on the bowlers and kind of uh really kind of get get us into the best position possible um and taking a few extra risks but also working out when the best time to do those risks are and just developing my game awareness and those sort of things um and obviously look you want to become more consistent as a cricketer so you want to be scoring runs as much as possible and runs is your currency as a batter. So um, just finding out different ways, to, like working with the coaches, what works best for me and just trying to grow as much as possible. Um, and yeah, look, it's also, like I said, I want to be, be an all-rounder. So really working on kind of the bowling aspect of things. Um, and I think for me, I, I judge myself on contributing to the team I don't judge myself really on kind of my individual performances it's what what doing what's best for the team and um I guess it's about getting myself into a place where I can play whatever role necessary for the team so it's those sort of things technical mindset um just growing my game awareness that I'll be looking to do over the next 12 months and and onwards Alice thank you so much for your time we really do appreciate it and wishing you all the best for the future no worries thank you such a great interview there, Valks, and it sounded like Alice Kepsey was really open about the challenges she went through when she broke her collarbone. It seems like quite a, a niggly injury and something where I think she even said like she didn't even realize the extent of the seriousness of it. She's quite a young person to have gone through such a major injury. What kind of sense did you get from her on the recovery and kind of how she sees the, the rest of her career going forward, given that she's now had this big, big injury, which... I suppose could threaten to derail anyone. Yeah, and that was what I wanted to tap into because she had no sooner had her international career really started when she was faced with, you know, a, a setback like that. And she sort of said there were, it was a bit of a race against time to get her fit for that um, T20 World Cup in South Africa in February. So, um, yeah, it was really interesting to sort of try and get into the, the mindset of someone who's so young, just starting out, has it taken away from them, you know, through injury, which is, you know... Uh, I guess a risk of any international sportsman and they all know that you know this can happen and and that kind of thing but that doesn't sort of make it any easier so I think you know I, I think you know she said she said that she had so much support and um and you know just in terms of being able to to work back to it and and you know she she was able to bounce back quite quickly actually from given that it happened in December and then she was sort of playing it in February so you know fortunately um, that all came good but it was just really interesting to get into the mindset of an athlete who had only just really started out on this journey and then sort of has to take that pause enforced and you know that's sort of I think that's probably quite a good lesson to go through if you can call it good because these things are going to crop up during the course of a career and to have gone through it sort of so young then she's going to be pretty well equipped should you know hopefully not but should things like that happen again in future yeah and it's actually been a year of remarkable and almost miraculous recoveries from injury we've seen Keshav Maharaj who ruptured his Achilles in March come back in six months instead of nine Kane Williamson with that ACL has come back and even thinking outside of of cricket uh, Sia Kolesi South Africa's Springbok captain also did an ACL came back really quickly and uh, Anton Dupont the French scrum half he broke his cheekbone which well, can you imagine and he's coming back too. So I suppose we're really starting to see that modern science and advances in medicine and technology and willpower to some extent are giving us sports people that have a lot more resilience and longevity. What that means for the end of their careers, we will, we will know in a few years time. But the other interesting thing I took from the conversation you had with Alice Capsey was her assessment of spin, which you've already mentioned, and the spin challenges that are coming up. It's an interesting one. It's not uh, something that I think we've spoken about really in the women's game. We speak about it a lot in the men's game when teams like South Africa, for example, head off to the subcontinent. Does it feel like a particular problem and they're going to need to put a lot of emphasis on it? Or do you think it's just a part of the learning curve? 
Oh, look, I think it was exposed as a, a hole in their batting, you know, capabilities. And, you know, we know that, you know, look, you look at that England lineup um, and, and you, that is a strong batting lineup. But the fact that they, you know, were somewhat or did struggle somewhat against spin and it was, you know, a, a consistent message that they took from it, I think um, in a way not good because it has been exposed as a weakness, but good because they now know right this is something we just have got to get right we don't have an option given the schedule that we've got coming up let's do something about it so you know and you know we always talk about you know learning from things and you know that's a really good learning that they will have taken um from this summer so yeah it'll be interesting to see you know how much work they manage to fit in the time that they have because obviously you know these things are going to be you know ongoing and also too playing in match conditions in spin-friendly conditions. I mean, that's another thing entirely. So, yeah, it's it's going to be very interesting sort of next 12, 15 months to sort of see their development in, in that side of things. Um, but speaking of being um, on the subcontinent, we should mention that you are in India covering the men's 50-over World Cup. Um, you mentioned Kane Williamson um, just now, and it made me think, oh, yes, we need to acknowledge that you're actually over there. Um, but, yes, can you? I, I imagine you've been um, trying to keep tabs on what's going on at home because we've got South Africa hosting New Zealand at the moment, and that's like been quite a big series what have you made of um I guess well both performances but you know we've talked a lot I think in the last pod about South Africa's you know transition phase um Laura Wolfart is their trial or in a trial period as captain that she wanted to sort of see how she goes it doesn't seem to have affected her play I think she um she hit a 124 not out in the second one international she was player of the 50 over series so um she's clearly coping well with the workload but what do you make of you know what she might choose to do and the the side as a whole I must say I'm actually pleasantly surprised by how South Africa performed because I expected that after this little period of displeasure with the coach the senior players had written a letter to cricket South Africa requesting a change of coach and it also felt like women's cricket got completely neglected in the country after the end of the T20 World Cup but they've come back they they lost a T20 series in Pakistan but they went on to win the one dayers and now they've beaten New Zealand in a one day series and those one dayers are really very very important because they form part of the women's championship which is how the qualification process for 2025 will be determined. South Africa now are sitting in second place. They've only played nine games. They're just behind India. And they're looking pretty good for an automatic spot at that World Cup. And I think the challenge now is going to be what on earth are they going to do with Hilton Meringue? Because he's gone and won a one-day series in Pakistan on South Africa's first tour of the country. And now he's come home and won a one-day series against New Zealand, who we know are a strong side, even though they're without... Bernadine Bezadenho, who unfortunately seems to have had a reoccurrence of uh, that terrible con- uh, health condition that she's had, which, um, you know, like, um, a very high heart rate, which is usually after a viral infection. So I really feel for her and the health challenges that she's going through. But Hilton, for his part, has gone and won these two series. Really, you can't ask more from the guy, but I still think that he's been in the job for 11 years, it's just too long and they are going to have to look for fresh ideas. Maybe some of those fresh ideas are coming from Laura Wolfart herself. It's been really great to see how she has responded to leadership. And actually, I don't know that it surprises me a lot because this is a person who was like top of her class, could have gone to medical school, plays guitar. Like, I don't actually know what she can't do. And I I guess she's one of those super high achievers who's probably going to excel at everything that she does. So whether it's a long-term solution, I'm not too sure. And I'd also be quite interested, and obviously from a distance it's hard to tell, whether she's got the buy-in of of everybody in the team or is it a bit factionalized with the Hilton situation. Maybe we'll see more of that over the summer when they host Bangladesh and Sri Lanka. But for now... The parts all seem to be working well. Marizan Cup's doing nicely, and we know, you know, there's sort of sideshows because Dane van Nikak's not involved anymore, who's her wife. And uh, interestingly, Nadine de Klerk, I mean, you would have seen her at the 100 um, and also in the domestic season. I think she's a strong candidate for, for the next captain, actually. You know, she's performing so well. Um, do you think she could maybe take over in time, of course? 
Yeah, I think so. I mean, she has been really quite impressive, I think, over the last, well, 12 months or so, really. And, and like I so said, she, she made that decision to come over and play domestic cricket here in England, which an increasing number um, of South African players and players from other nations as well are doing. And, um, yeah, it just sort of seems to be, well, a case of in their off-season, um, they are still playing and that's that's really important so yeah I think she for one would have benefited from that a lot we've seen her form seems to be yeah and also I think too Chloe Tryon she's um had some really good performances this series I think she took a four for 15 in um one of the t20s which was washed out there's been a couple of washouts there unfortunately and also um a half century in the one day series so she's performing with bat and ball really well as well She is, and she, of course, took that break. She requested uh, to miss the Pakistan series for personal reasons. She was in England. She played there. I really think playing in England has done wonders for a lot of the players who were there, particularly Nadine de Klerk, but I guess Chloe as well to an extent. She's, of course, well, she was the vice-captain. I don't think there is a designated vice-captain. So she would also be in line for the captaincy. And I know you say, unfortunately, it's rained, but the games have been held in the Eastern Cape. And I must say the Eastern Cape is a drought-stricken area of South Africa. So maybe we must have more cricket there so it'll rain more so that people can turn on their taps without feeling too guilty. But it is a pity that um, the T20s haven't happened because, of course, with the T20 World Cup around 12-ish months away, Obviously, you'd want uh, the team to be getting as much practice as possible. However, I think if they appoint a new coach, the, the whole philosophy may change. And so the South Africa we see play against Bangladesh in December and then Sri Lanka in March next year could be a completely different South Africa with a new philosophy and and hopefully a little bit more of an attacking intent. I still feel sometimes they hang back a bit too much. The other player I just want to mention is Masabata Klaas, who is the top wicket-taker, was the top wicket-taker in the ODIs. And on first glance, you wouldn't think, I don't know, you wouldn't think that she's offering that much. She doesn't seem particularly quick. There's a lot of subtle movement, maybe a little bit like a Vernon Philander in in some ways. And and I really think she is one to keep an eye on. After Shabnam Ismail's retirement, South Africa lost express pace, or as express pace as we're getting in the women's game, you know, 129, 130. And I don't think they're going to replace that too easily because you don't find bowlers in the women's game who are bowling that quickly with regularity. So they're going to have to look for some other skills. And I think maybe Masabata Klaas, if she's especially able to use the change-ups, the cutters, uh, she could really be a good weapon, even in subcontinental conditions, which of course become really important. But now I want to move to, well, the Team South Africa will play at the beginning of next year, Australia. And goodness me, finally, they have been beaten. This is great. So England beat them a bit. But I mean, of all the teams that we would have picked to beat them, I don't think I would have picked West Indies. Would you? No. And I think, um, yeah, great for West Indies to get that real, you know, boost of a, a victory against Australia. We did talk at the end of the Ashes, you know, is this Australian team now, you know, coming into a phase of transition itself? You know, are they have they lost that unbeatable aura? And, I mean, England proved that that can be cracked. And, and now again, West Indies. I mean, I think one thing that this West Indies series has still um, shown, and it's nothing that we didn't know, is their reliance on Hayley Matthews. Uh, she has had an absolute blinder of a tour out there. Um, sort of 99 not out, 132 um, in that match that West Indies did win against Australia and then a 79, that was in the T20s. Then she got a quadriceps injury um, and she's out of the... She missed the first one day as she was hoping to be back, but she wasn't in that match. And, um, and England, uh, sorry, Australia bowled West Indies out for 83. So um, that's, yeah, um, she will be hoping to get back um, for the remainder of that series. But I think that does, you know, again, say, you know, she's leading this team um, and, you know, they need some others to go with her uh, if they are to have those wins against, um, you know, there's, um, let, it's an upset victory if they're to make a habit of that um, and turn them into not being upsets. They're going to need more depth there, which is something that, you know, I think West Indies know we've spoken about and it's just a, a case of, you know, how they build that. Yeah, it's very important for West Indies to start 
putting performances on the board because it does feel as though they're slipping off the radar both in the men's and the women's game. You mentioned being here at the Men's World Cup. Of course, there are no West Indies representation here. In fact, it's the Netherlands who are here instead. And I don't know, looking at their first two performances, there have been some questions over whether we would want them or West Indies because at least West Indies you know on occasion they've got a player or two who just bursts through and does something whereas the Dutch are pretty workmanlike and and we haven't really seen any standout performances from them yet hopefully we will in the weeks to come but for the women's team it's the same thing West Indies I'm sure want to avoid a qualifier to go to the 2025 World Cup and they want to start putting proper numbers on the board and uh, really disappointing to see that without Hayley Matthews uh, the runs are just not coming from Australia's perspective, I want to just talk about somebody who's not part of the national team, but who's made a comeback, and that's Meg Lanning. Uh, it's great to see that she's back in action. Do you think we can expect to see her over the summer? Are you getting any indication of that? I haven't, uh, no, but I mean, the fact that um, she's sort of, you know, is making her way back, I mean, that's that's positive signs, and you have to, you know, or you, you'd want to think that you know she's in a position that you know that will be something that she can do over the course of this season um but yeah I, I haven't heard one way or another whether that is you know or how close uh she is to that but I think we just have to you know take it as a very positive sign that um you know she she's making her way back and and just you know hope for the best for her really yeah, and Australian fans, I'm sure, will be pretty hopeful, not just that she's back, but maybe even that they get to see her in a competition like the WBBL, which is on our horizon. It's an interesting one this time around, the WBBL. A couple of players have pulled out, uh, citing overload, injury concerns, you know, the usual things that happen in an overcrowded calendar. I wonder if the WBBL is a little bit at risk of what the BBL suffered and that it's going to lose ground to things like the WPL, eventually maybe an SA20 women's version. Of course, the 100 is there. Do you feel the shine is somewhat dimmed or is it still the premier tournament? I, th I think the writing is on the wall for the WBBL big time. And, you know, if, if nothing else, the WPL did that. Um, you know, this is this shiny big new tournament with big money all the global superstars wanting to be involved so i think that was a bit of a, a wake up for the wbbl and you know whether i mean they can sort of match it or change something up to you know to make themselves you know more you know give themselves a point of difference or you know i i think they've got you know some some work cut out i mean it is going to be um a thing now in the women's game as there's the more franchise tournaments we've spoken about um and touring and what have you that players do have to manage workloads and and make those calls um listen uh, danny wyatt has pulled out um from the wbbl citing fatigue she's just one of um many england players that were you know due to go over and one of of several that have pulled out now um i guess the challenge for a, for tournaments is to make themselves the one that the players aren't going to pull out of and i think the wpl being you know new and such money involved and there was so much hype around it last year i think they've got a good few year well a good few seasons yet of being the tournament that the players are going to go for so the others are going to have to sort of do something to to make sure that they're not the ones that um you know are like you know the option that's not taken by some of these players um uh, we've just heard i'm um, speaking to alice capsey and she's going back to melbourne stars for a second season she got picked up in the the draft um alongside maya bouchier who had an excellent breakout season here um for england uh so yeah i guess another good thing about these tournaments is you've got players that are then having good domestic seasons you know coming to the, the fore and getting those international call-ups now have got opportunities to to do those tournaments as well or those franchise tournaments so yeah, it'll it'll be really interesting to see, and interesting to see what the WBBL can do to well, to to keep up or to to step ahead, or you know, to to make to keep themselves you know relevant and keep themselves being you know the tournament that um, players want to want to play in. Yeah, and I guess they may, might also see themselves as a bit of a shop window now because the WBBL takes place at around the same time as we're expecting the WPL auction to happen. So there will be another auction this year. Luckily, it's not going to clash with the World Cup and we're not going to have that sort of drama. 
but it's uh, slated to happen in December from what we've heard with the tournament scheduled for March, as was the case last year. I did hear talk that they might move the tournament so that it would take place around festival season, which is now October, November in India, and that, in fact, we might wait 18 months between the first edition and the second. I haven't heard anything further on that. I don't think it's a bad idea because March, I feel, clashes a bit too much with the end of the Southern Hemisphere summer, and it's also quite a tight window between the WPL and the men's IPL. And I don't, I don't really think we want to start using women's tournaments or continue using women's tournaments as kind of the shop window or, you know, the prelim event to the men's event. I feel like they should have a standalone window of their own. So I feel like maybe moving it is not a bad idea. I don't think players will want to wait 18 months to play in another WPL. Uh, I guess we'll have to wait and see. Of course, India also have national elections next year, which could well affect the timing of Everything, I guess. WPL, IPL, life. So who knows? Who knows what's going to happen there? But Valt, any last thoughts on on kind of these uh, dovetailing of one day cricket and T Twenty cricket? And I think about it because we hear at a men's World Cup where, unfortunately and disappointingly, and probably due to administrative reasons, many matches have not been played to full houses, and it, it does seem as though interest in a very long game. You know, it takes one whole day for one day games to be played. I get the sense it's dwindling. Um, and, and I wonder if you feel that, that the women's game may be going along the same path or, or is T20 and one day cricket still quite strong there? I think that uh, I think T20 has very clearly been earmarked as the way forward for the women's game. You speak to quite you know, a lot of um, teams and organisers and it's, you know, we talk about women wanting to play more tests and, and so on and so forth, but you raise that argument and then straight away someone will ask, someone else will say, but no, T20 is the way forward. We've got this growth in franchise tournaments. Um, it's quicker. It's, you know, you can pack more in and, and you know, and, the interest is there as well, particularly if they're trying to um, get young kids to go along and watch. Obviously, T20 is much easier to get them to to sit through um, than a one day. And and yeah, it, it's sort of like the more you watch and cover and play T20, I think the longer the 50 over format does feel as well. And also too, I mean, um, we've had the news this week that um, cricket has been uh, put forward as a, an Olympic sport, um, you know, hopefully to be ratified very soon um, by the IOC, but, it, you know, it, it's looking set to be part of the 2028 Games in LA. Um, but that's going to be a T20 format as well. And the T20 format was chosen, you know, a, a bunch of reasons were given sort of that it's, you know, um, globally popular it's a condensed format so they can fit that in a wider sort of multi-sport event um and and you know there's growth there and and it's played in you know communities and what have you there were several arguments backing the t20 format so i mean i i don't know that um the olympics is a huge driver of uh cricket participation it's more cricket sort of driving to participate in in the olympics but it, it that is a global stage isn't it and so people yeah. are going to to see it and and you know they're going to see the t20 format it's looking like if if that all goes ahead so yeah it, it's looking like um that's that's where it's at at the moment um but we do have a 50 over world cup going on um so yeah we'll uh, we'll just have to you know maybe hope that those crowds you know increase as the tournament regresses and we get toward the knockouts and then what have you and you know and um and see how things go there but it feels like a um, very very long way before the knockouts right now <laughs> like we've just started round two um and game for cricket to be included in the olympics i just wanted to say that with the commonwealth games not having a host for the next edition and I think even the edition after that, right? Nobody wants the Commonwealth Games is not gonna happen again, I don't think. So to have cricket at the Olympics is great because it gets to be part of a multi-sport event. And I think you've mentioned before having covered events like that, that there's actually a really nice sense around it. There's a nice camaraderie around being in an athlete's village and having you know, all these different sporting codes mix and mingle with each other. I am extremely upset that netball, my new second favorite sport, does not get to be part of the Olympics. And they've got something called, what do they call it? Something flag football. Fl oh, flag, yeah, flag football, football. Yes. I mean, yes. It's like touch rugby. Are you going to have touch rugby at the Olympics? Getting very yeah. upset about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I hear you. I don't know if, 
I don't know if global participation in flag football would beat global participation in netball. Haven't haven't looked at the numbers, but I'd be dubious. But there you go. Uh, we could go on and the cricket does just keep going on. So we shall leave it there. But thank you very much for taking time out to um, be with us from India during your busy schedule uh, at the World Cup. And, um, and thanks everyone else for listening to us on ESPN.com.